0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. How many of you have lunch plans today for Easter? Raise your hand. All right, well, I'll try to get you out by next Easter, okay? I'll try. We have four passages that we're going to look at today. So I want you to go ahead and grab your Bible. I know some of you just, you really are thinking, I'm going to hold you here till next Easter. I promise we'll be out. Four passages of Scripture. Start at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And then you need to mark Jonah chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 10, and then Matthew 28. So Matthew 12 is where we're going to start. Then we'll end up in Jonah 12. Jonah Jonah 3, 1 Kings 10, and Matthew 28. Today... Easter is the best day. Today's the best day. Today's a day that we remember that Christ could not be held by death. Today is a day that we celebrate when Christ conquered the grave. And that victory means something. It means something. It means that there is no one like Jesus, who bore our sins and the wrath of God. It it means there's no one like Jesus who defeated death so that we could have life. It means there's no one like Jesus who will stand at the right hand of God to advocate for His people. It means there's no one like Jesus who secured our inheritance, the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Today, Easter... As we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the best day. Jesus has one eternal life. Jesus has one eternal life, and that life can be yours. How do you respond to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? You see, that's the question. We talk every single Easter, actually every single week about the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what you do with it, how you respond to his life and his death and his resurrection. That's certainly the most important decision you will ever make. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In Matthew chapter 12, we're going to see this really amazing moment in Jesus's ministry where he actually points to his resurrection. We're going to look at this moment where he will actually show the Pharisees and the religious elite two Old Testament stories and how they actually are about him and what they mean for you and I. So my goal this morning is to look at the words of Christ, to see these Old Testament stories, and then at the end, we'll make some application to it. How do you respond to Jesus Christ? Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. then Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now there's a few things we need to understand before we dive into the text. When Jesus is walking around Israel preaching the gospel and healing and working miracles, people usually responded to him in one of two ways. The bulk of the people of Israel, they were dazzled by Jesus. They were absolutely amazed at what he was doing and how he was teaching. They wanted to see what he would do next. And so these rural communities became over, overrun with crowds when Jesus was walking through because they wanted to see what is this guy going to do next? They were absolutely amazed by what Jesus was doing. They would see Him performing miracles and teaching with great authority, and they just wanted to see it, and they wanted to hear it, and so they'd follow Jesus around. But there's this other group in Israel that they didn't respond so positively to Jesus all the time. This group is made up of mostly the religious elite. You see, the religious elite at that time, they had been the prized and respected and revered religious authorities in Israel. But then Jesus comes along and his teaching turned everything upside down. Everything he emphasized, every everything he did undermined everything they sought to do. And this led the group of religious elite to really get angry at Jesus. Actually, they despised him. They wanted to get rid of him. Now when Jesus saw that this second group And he saw their pride and what they really wanted to do to him. He answered them most of the time by pointing toward his resurrection. So this religious group, when he would do something or speak of something, they would say, how do you have the authority to do that? Who are you that, and who gives you the authority to say those kind of things and to do those kind of things? Prove to us that you are who you say you are. They always wanted evidence. They wanted proof. And most of the time what Jesus would do is Jesus would say, kill me and watch me rise again. He would point to his death and ultimately his resurrection you you could see that this happens over and over. I want to point to one. You don't have to turn there, but but John chapter 2. You've probably heard this. It's the Passover of the Jews and Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and he walks into the temple and what does he find there? He finds that they are selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers are sitting at the table. Jesus then he develops makes a whip of cords. He drives them out of the temple every single one of them including the sheep and the oxen. He grabs the coins of the money changers and he overturns their tables. He says these words. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Well, once again, the Jews, they, they get upset at this. They get mad because he's, he's going against their, their, their authority, what they were doing. And then Jesus says these words. Or the Jews actually say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answers them this way. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Well, the Jews, they get confused. They're like, well, it, it, it took us forever to build this temple. What is he talking about? He's going to destroy this place? Little did they know he's talking about himself. Well, I love verse 22. Of John 2, it says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus doesn't perform a miracle. He doesn't sit him down and materialize bread and fish from nothing. He doesn't calm a storm. He doesn't kill a crippled man. He says, kill me. And watch me rise, you want proof, you will see it Well now you come to this text in matthew chapter twelve it's it 's similar to that, but right before our reading he is, Jesus has said some things to really stir up the religious elite. They're angry with Him once again. These guys are upset. And they demand that Jesus proves that He is who He says He is. They say, give us a sign that You have this kind of authority. Give us a sign. And once again, Jesus, He doesn't perform a miracle. What He does is He points them back to two Old Testament texts that they're very familiar with. He says, you want a sign? Here's your sign. Remember Jonah, and remember the Queen of the South. You want proof? Kill me and watch me rise again. Look at Nineveh. Look at the Queen of the South. That's how you should respond to me. There is your sign. When you see who I am, when you hear my words, when you see the things that I do, you should respond like they responded. Keep shaking your fist and demanding my death. The people of Nineveh and the Queen of the South, they're going to rise up in judgment against you. Now this is a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement because one, they knew those Old Testament stories. But two, this, these men are the most Jewish of Jews. They pride themselves on being better than the other nations because they're chosen by God. So when Jesus sees their heart of pride, he points to the examples of Gentiles who appropriately responded to the work of God. So he attacks their heart of pride. He cuts right to their heart. He says, look at the Gentile Ninevites. Look at the queen of the south. You want proof? When you kill me, I'll rise again. And when I rise again, this is how you should respond. When you see that I've defeated death in the grave, you're going to see clearly that I am who I say I am. And that I'm going to accomplish all that I've said I will accomplish. That I have been given all authority. And here's how you should respond. So again, that's our question. How do you respond to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He says to respond like the Ninevites. And like the Queen of the South. So let's look at it. Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to walk through chapter 1 and 2. Just real quick. You're probably familiar with this story. If you've spent any time in church. You've heard this story of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet of God. And. God says, I want you to go and I want you to preach repentance and mercy to the people in Nineveh. Jonah's like, no way. I'm not going to do that. He rebels against the command of God. And actually what Jonah does is he says, those people actually deserve your wrath. They don't deserve your mercy. So I'm not going to go and preach that. Usually doesn't end up being a good thing, right? So we know the story. Jonah, he's in a boat. He's fleeing from God. He's in a boat. The Lord sends a great storm, a great wind. And Jonah's overthrown into the sea. And he's swallowed by a great fish. You can see at the very end of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is what Jesus is referring to in in Matthew chapter 12. Well, then you see in in Jonah chapter 2, you see Jonah's prayer. He's swallowed by a fish and you see his prayer there. There are many pictures of Jesus in the scriptures. Foreshadowing his, the cross, foreshadowing the work and mission and death and life and resurrection of Jesus. And, and this one in Jonah chapter two is unmistakable. If you read his prayer, this song in chapter two, it, it's, you see very vividly the portrait of Jesus laid out before our eyes. Well, then you see in verse 10 of chapter two, the Lord spoke to the fish, And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah is rescued from death, delivered to the shores of Nineveh. And we know that it is only took a life-threatening storm, drowning in the sea, being consumed by a fish. And then vomited up on dry land that Jonah realizes that it's a good idea to obey God. Right? Well, then we see in chapter 3. That's what he does. He finally gets the point, kind of. He goes to Nineveh finally and he he delivers this sermon. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah walks one third of the way into the city and he literally delivers the briefest warning possible. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There's your message. The prophet of God, he came and warned this people who were knee-deep in sin, knee-deep in idolatry, knee-deep in adultery. These are brutal people. And Jonah comes and he gives eight words. An eight-word sermon. Yet 40 days and you will be overthrown. Well, look at what happens in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. This is absolutely amazing. This Gentile people knew only whispers and third hand stories of the power of God who created the heavens and the earth, and immediately they believed Him. Immediately, they, they turn. When they heard that their sin was an offense to God and they learned that their actions and their sin deserves the wrath of God, they turn immediately. They call for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. The word of the the word reaches the king of Nineveh, and he arises from his throne. He removes his robe, he covers himself with sackcloths, and sits in the ashes. He even declares this this proclamation. Look at verse seven through nine of chapter three. The king and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. Here is his decree: By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste. You see, the people of Nineveh—they're an example. They're an example of radical, world-changing repentance. They—they—they they, they literally stopped everything. If—if you look back at the text, they—they they stop it all. Their economy shuts down. Their market shut down. No more food. No more drink. They even made their cows fast. That's how serious they took their sin. The whole group, they set aside their comfortable clothes and wore sackcloth and sat in the ashes. Why? Because who knows? Maybe God will relent. Maybe God will show us mercy. Back to Matthew chapter 12. Something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus, he, he looks at these Pharisees and He says, You want proof that I am who I say I am and that I have the authority to say and do what I say and do? Kill me and watch me rise. And when you do, repent like the people of Nineveh. Repent. Repent. When you, when you see the signs of Jonah, and you will see it, the appropriate response is radical, world-changing repentance. So you religious elite, the, the sign of Jonah should shut down how you used to spend your money, how you spend your time, how you used to view comfort and satisfaction, how you understand and interpret the scriptures, because who knows? Maybe God will relent and turn from his fierce anger so that you will not perish. You see, the hope of redemption is enough to justify losing everything. That's the answer to our first, that's the first answer to our question. How do you respond to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Repentance. Repentance. Well, what's the second one? Jesus also points them to the Queen of the South. This is in 1 Kings chapter 10. If you'll turn there. This is a phenomenal story. An amazing thing happens. You know that Solomon is going to be King of Israel and and God comes to Solomon and he says, I'll give you anything. What do you want? What do you want? I'll give it to you. Well, Solomon doesn't ask for riches. Solomon doesn't ask for a great kingdom. He doesn't ask for a great throne. He asks for wisdom to lead his people. He says, God, grant me wisdom. Well, this pleases the Lord. And of course, the Lord gives him great wisdom. And this literally puts Israel on the map because now Solomon has wisdom and power and riches and all kinds of stuff. And so everybody's beginning to hear about Solomon and his wisdom. Well, now you have the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, in chapter 10, verse 1. Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She says to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to the king, Solomon. I want you to notice that the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, she doesn't come to praise Solomon. What does she come to do? She comes to test him. She's a skeptic. She's, I've heard of the, I've heard of you. I, I want to see if you really are what you're cracked up to be. Do you really have all this wisdom? Do you really have all of this? So I'm going to go and test him. So she, she gathers her goods and she gathers her army and she goes to test him. She asks him everything that's on her mind, verse two says. Solomon sits and listens. Well, then it's time for Solomon to give his answers. And nothing's hidden from Solomon. He has great wisdom because it's given to him by the Lord. And so he answers everything. And she listens and she watches. And I love verse 4 and 5 because I think if we pay attention, this is, this is the point. When the queen saw firsthand... Solomon's great wisdom, his house, his kingdom. Look at what the end of verse five says. There was no more breath in her. It took her breath away. She came in as a skeptic and now she's awestruck. She's amazed. She adores him. She sees his wisdom and, and she saw the power of his throne and the riches of his kingdom and it takes her breath away. She is awestruck by Solomon and she begins to sing his praises and, and praises his God and gives him all that she brought. Matthew chapter 12. And something greater than Solomon is here. You want a sign? Look at the Queen of the South. Adoration. Marvel. All. That's how you should respond to me. When you kill me and you see me rise, adore me. Worship me. Be amazed by me. Leave your routine and and watch me. Follow me. Seek me. Take a journey. Ask me the questions. And when you find me and you see my kingdom, you see my wisdom and my power and splendor and my kindness, would you see that I sacrificed myself for my people and that I will rise again? Be amazed. His power and His wisdom and His kindness and His kingdom, it ought to take your breath away. Matthew 28. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, just as He said. Come, see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and he said, greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. He is not here. He is risen just as He said. The only two appropriate responses to the resurrection of Jesus are radical, life-changing repentance. Seeking the God who saves with, with great sorrow over our sin. Appealing for His mercy. And then when that mercy is giving, given, We explore His wisdom and His power and His mercy and His grace. And we adore Him. Adore the King who rescued you. Adore Him for His great wisdom and His power over death and the grave. Adore Him for the gift of salvation. Adore Him because He is who He says He is. And He will do everything that He's promised to do. Adore Him for He is Lord. Now, very briefly, I want to apply this to us. How do we respond in real life right now? What does this look like for you and for me? First, I would say this. It's time for you and I, brothers and sisters, to treat sin with Nineveh-level gravity. We, we we must take our sin serious. Some of us maybe become so used to our sin that we're, we're, it doesn't even affect us anymore. We've been in the darkness so long we've gotten used to the darkness. We must treat sin with Nineveh-level gravity. Remember what characterized the people of Nineveh within their season of repentance, nothing else mattered to them. They stopped everything to rid themselves of sin. Everything. When's the last time you, you had that kind of repentance for your sin? There's no decision too radical in the quest to defeat sin. Sin. Jesus uses these terms. He says if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. We should take sin so serious that there's not a measure we, were, we are not willing to take to get rid of it. Make radical decisions to kill sin. If you're in sin and your job fosters that sin, find another job. If you're in sin and your phone allows you to be in sin, get a landline and get rid of your cell phone. Take whatever measure you've got to take. If there's sin in your heart toward another person, repent and seek forgiveness. Your pride, your arrogance, your judgmentalism, slander, your lying tongue, whatever it is, we've got to take sin serious. And repent. There is no sin too small for radical repentance. And there is no repentance too radical for any sin. Make world shattering decisions about your sin and repent. Secondly, I encourage you today, this week, the rest of your life, take a journey. Take a journey and visit the king you've been hearing so much about. Set aside time from your routine to seek the wise King Jesus. Explore the Scriptures and find Him there. Take time each and every day, each and every moment to seek after Him. You see, the right response to the risen Jesus is to carve out significant chunks of your routine to seek Him. What's more important than knowing Christ? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing more satisfying and worth your time than knowing Jesus. And as you seek Him and as you find Him, adore Him. Be awestruck by Him. Marvel at Him. I encourage you to take a journal with you to the Scriptures and ride of the beauty of the King Jesus. Maybe you play an instrument, a guitar or piano, or maybe just your voice and sit down and compose and sing songs to the risen King Jesus. Be like the Queen of the South. Take a journey and see what you find with Jesus. And let Him take your breath away. When's the last time you were breathless as you encountered the risen savior? Encounter Jesus, risen and alive, just as he said. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen Repent and adore him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You. We thank You so much for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I I just want to take a moment to ask that You would reveal to us the sin in our lives. God, I I pray that we would not leave this place this morning as we think about your resurrection. I pray we would not leave this place until we've repented. Oh God, would we be a people that take our sins serious? That it would be radical, world-changing repentance in our lives. Because of what you have accomplished In your resurrection And your death And your life And oh God I pray that we would be a people That would adore you That each moment as we're in the scriptures As each moment we come to church As as we share our faith As we talk about you to others Oh God would we be Amazed by you Jesus, would you take our breath away? Jesus, we thank you for what you've accomplished in your life, in your death, and most of all, in your resurrection. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. I'm down here at the front. We have other ministers here available to pray with you, to talk with you. I would ask that we do as the Scripture says, that we would repent and that we would adore the risen Savior. Let's stand together and sing.